serving the Unitarian Church of Edmonton as its minister during the interim between Reverend Brian's departure and the arrival of your next settled minister. I welcome you to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton's online Zoom service. We are a liberal, multi-generational religious community. We celebrate a rich mosaic of free thinking, spiritually questing individuals joined in common support and action. Whether you have been a part of our congregation for decades or this is your first time visiting with us, we welcome you. Whatever the faith and traditions of your past, we welcome you. Whatever your theological stance, we welcome you. Whatever your heritage, we welcome you. Whoever you are and whomever you love, we welcome you, the whole of you. We especially welcome any visitors who might be with us today and invite you to join us for conversation in the breakout rooms once the service has ended. We invite you to go to um, place your name and contact information in our online guest book, which you can find on the uce.ca website. We acknowledge that we are on Treaty 6 territory, home of First Nations, Metis, and Inuit peoples over many centuries. A treaty is an inheritance, a responsibility, and a relationship. May we be good neighbors to one another, good stewards to our planet, and good ancestors to all of our children. Our theme for December is stillness, 
which can mean many things. Today, we're going to explore the ways in which incorporating stillness and using stillness as a kind of incubation period, not as a punishment or a deprivation, um, but as a spiritual discipline that, that resists the frenetic culture and demanding culture in which we all live. As Unitarian Universalists, our weekly practice of worship that we're engaged in right now provides us a kind of stillness of heart, of mind, and of spirit. I realize that some people bristle at the use of the word worship in reference to what we do together on Sunday mornings. And I'm thinking that perhaps people may be thinking too narrowly of what it means to worship and associating it with the highly formalized praise and obeisance common in many other churches and synagogues. So Corinne Jackson and I invite you to join us with Mike Muted in a responsive reading written by Jacob Trapp, now deceased, who was a Unitarian Universalist minister. And in this responsive reading, he offers an expansive understanding of what Unitarian Universalists commonly mean when we use the word worship. To worship is to stand in awe under a heaven of stars before a flower, a leaf in sunlight, or a grain of sand. To worship is to be silent, reflective, before a tree astir with the wind or the passing shadow of a cloud. To worship is to work with dedication and with skill. It is to pause from work and listen to a strain of music. To worship is to sing with the singing beauty of the earth. It is to listen through a storm to the still, small voice within. Worship is a loneliness seeking communion. It is a thirsty land crying out for rain. Worship is kindred fire within our hearts. It moves through deeds of kindness and through acts of love. Worship is the mystery within us reaching out to the mystery beyond. It is an inarticulate silence yearning to speak. It is the window of the moment open to the sky of the eternal. We begin our sacred time together as other Unitarian Universalist congregations around the world do by lighting our chalice. 
As we do so, Corinne will share the words of Reverend Dr. Linda Hart, a Unitarian Universalist minister. We light this chalice as a symbol of the spark of life which abides within and around us. May it be as a light in a dark night, a light in a window that welcomes the weary traveler home. May it be as a light in the hand of a trusted friend that guides us along the path. May it be as the light in the face of the one we love, bright with joy and calm and inner peace. Today is the second day of Advent and our candle is peace. Gordon Ritchie will lead us in lighting our two candles this week. Good morning, everyone. We are entering a time of year where the earth grows colder. Animals begin to hibernate and days become continually shorter. This morning marks the second Sunday in the season of Advent. In the Christian tradition, Advent is the beginning of the church year recognizing the transforming power of God in the world and looking forward toward the birth of Jesus and the celebration of spiritual light. Christianity is not alone in celebrating light at this time of year. Hanukkah, solstice, Kwanzaa all involve candles, fire and lights as part of their celebrations. We have an evergreen wreath that has four candles on it. May the light of these candles guide us toward personal peace, shared joys of the season, and opportunities to build love in our church and in the larger world. This morning, we light our second candle as a symbol of our longing for peace. We bring our hope into the world when we practice peacemaking. Our caring community aspires to be a source of freedom from violence and exclusion. As June Jordan writes, may we become the ones we have been waiting for. Together may we strive to create lasting peace. Infinite spirit of life, teach us to seek peace, understanding and justice. Open our eyes and our hearts to the work of peacemaking. May it be so. Blessed be. We invite you now to enjoy the opening song, Blessed Spirit of My Life. And with mics muted to join in.
An important part of our community is sharing the joys and sorrows of our lives and making deeper personal connections. If you have a personally significant joy or sorrow, please type it into the chat window at the bottom of the screen where we will be able to see it. I will read them aloud. Your joys and sorrows will be part of our posted recording of the service. If you would not like to have your joy or sorrow available to the public, then indicate that in the chat box with the prefix private colon, and then your joy or sorrow, and I will not read it. The chat box is not posted publicly. You may also send your joy or sorrow to candles at uce.ca. Today, as you compose your joys and sorrows in the chat box, we will also take a moment to remember 14 young women who were murdered in an act of violent misogyny. Today, December 6, has been designated a day of remembrance and action on violence against women. Yvonne Miro will read the names of the young women killed on this day in 1989. Geneviève Bergeron, Hélène Colgan, Natalie Croteau, Barbara Dino, Anne-Marie Edward, Maud Havernick, Maurice Laganier, Maurice Leclerc, Anne-Marie Lemay, Sonia Pelache, Michelle Ricard, Annie Centono, Annie Turco, Barbara Kluznik Vidajewicz. Jan McMillan wishes a huge or offers a huge wish for full recovery for Lynn Wolf, who's in hospital from emergency eye surgery. Maria is on two weeks mandatory self-isolation because there was a confirmed COVID-19 case in a class that she taught a bit over a week ago. Her test was negative, but she still has to comply with the complete isolation period. Lilius Calpard tells us that she just had a COVID test this morning and I guess she's waiting for results.
Seeing no more joys and sorrows, I will now light one candle for all the unspoken joys and sorrows held within the sanctuary of our hearts. And also for all those who have yet to find a spiritual home where they can share their joys and sorrows. And now I will back up a bit because I see that quite a few people have suddenly shared their joys and sorrows. I expect that that's a function of the chat box and the fact that it takes a moment for people to write in their joys and sorrows. And I would like to add then that Glory Krenbrink sang a song that Susan R, perhaps Rutan heard Gloria apparently wrote the song and played her guitar as a compliment. Susan says it was great. Oksana and Mike want to celebrate or acknowledge the celebration of Mike's 42nd birthday <laughs> with at least 42 people online through Zoom. Susan Lynch had her hip replaced last week and is in recovery. Gerard sends a thought out and a candle for all who have lost someone near and dear to them. Jen Ingrid Engine she and others close to her are mourning her mother-in-law who died this week of COVID. Jan McMillan says it's so good to see Sue Lynch back with us again. And Larry and Louise Light a candle for Susan Lynch, wishing her a full and complete recovery. And Lilius adds her wishes for Susan's recovery as well. Reverend Audrey Brooks lets us know that best wishes are in order for Jane Calderon for her dedication in saving all our UCE pictures on USB sticks and to Beverly or Bev Ramanishan for volunteering at the food bank for Liz Clotier as she continues to support her husband Clem in his palliative care home and for Stephen Greenhall, I apologize if I've mispronounced uh, his last name whose obituary notice is in the U of Alberta Alumni Magazine. And note that there is an annual alumni memorial service in the spring that those of us who knew him would want, may want to attend. And then Susan Lynch simply sends out a thanks to everyone for all the good wishes.
All right, I think we can go forward now with lighting the special candle for the joys and sorrows that remain in our hearts and for those who have yet to find their spiritual home. Now I invite you to enjoy a moment of musical meditation with Jan Tiersen's rendition of Comte de Notre Ete Après Midi. <laughs> Well, it seems that stress is becoming as much a way of life for Canadians as it has become for Americans. Our societies are very much focused on doing, on doing your best and on making more effort to make sure that you are doing your best. We are taught that in order to achieve our goals, we have to try harder and harder. And if we encounter a problem, we just need to work more. 
This, not surprisingly, causes a great deal of stress, particularly when we meet obstacles. A Canadian company called Ipsos routinely issues polls and surveys that focus on the social experience of Canadians. In October 2000, that's 20 years ago, Ipsos found that 63% of Canadians identified stress as having a negative impact on the quality of their lives. And 45% of those who were surveyed identified their work or job as the primary source of stress. Much of that stress derives from a business and social culture that's increasingly more demanding in terms of a need to achieve, accomplish, acquire, and attain in ways that might not have been true a generation ago, our young people are being constantly sent two disturbing messages. The first, that material items bring happiness, especially in terms of technology and, and digital items, such as digital pedometers, watches, tablets, computers, appliances, and on and on and on. And the second, that you never have enough of these material items. With planned obsolescence, no digital or technological item will ever be enough. There will always be something else on the horizon that is faster, more capable, and more attractive. So, our children, our young adults, and even ourselves, some of us who are a bit older, are all being inculcated with a sense of lack and limitation. That whatever we have now is not enough. And the message goes even deeper than that. The message is that we are not enough, that we don't matter unless we achieve or produce or acquire. This compels us to take action in the world, to try to close the gap between what we think we are and what we believe we should be. But in terms of pointing outward, what do we have? What have we done? What can we show for it? Fast forward to November 2020, and after months of quarantine and limited social interactions, Ipsos did another survey and determined that 78% of Canadians surveyed said that their mental health has been negatively impacted by COVID-19. And compared to the pre-COVID days, more indebted Canadians now report that their debt load makes them feel stressed or keeps them up at night. And no wonder, our normal modes and methods for proving to ourselves and others that we are valuable and worthy human beings are largely foreclosed by the necessary responses to COVID-19. You know, it used to be that if you had a little more debt, than you were comfortable with, 
or something unexpected happened, you might go out and get a second job or think of something you might be able to sell or I don't know, get a small loan from a bank, knowing that you can put in some extra hours to pay it off. But because of COVID-19, those avenues are largely foreclosed for most people. And many people are suffering due to what they perceive and experience as a life-threatening or, or at least a lifestyle-threatening forced stillness, a being stopped still in their tracks. While we can't make COVID-19 restrictions magically go away, we can find ways to change our perceptions and our experiences. There's a story of three bricklayers which has over time become a multifaceted parable with many different variations, but it's rooted in an authentic story. And um, I like this story because it involves Christopher Wren, who was a significant architect, not only in Great Britain, but also in Williamsburg at the College of William and Mary, one of my alma maters. The story goes that after the great fire of 1666 that leveled London, the world's most famous architect, Christopher Wren, was commissioned to build St. Paul's Cathedral. As he walked along, he noticed three bricklayers on a scaffold. He saw one of them crouching down and one half standing and one standing tall, working very hard and fast. To the first and crouching bricklayer, Christopher Wren asked the question, what are you doing? To which the brick Layer replied, I'm a bricklayer. I'm placing one brick upon another for my paycheck. The second and half standing bricklayer responded to the question, I am a builder. I'm building a wall in order to make a living. But when he asked the third and standing bricklayer, the most productive of the three, the bricklayer answered his question, what are you doing, with a gleam in his eye and said, I'm a cathedral builder. I'm building a cathedral, a great cathedral to the Almighty. Now there's a lot to mine in this short story. And there's a lesson in there about importance of big picture thinking and a lesson about the relative happiness and satisfaction of employees, depending on their respective connections to the organization's mission or values or goals, and the effect of a positive attitude towards one's work. All of these are good lessons, but the lesson I want to focus on now is the power of perspective. Whatever you may think about mainstream Christianity in general or Catholicism in particular or the Church of England, 
I hope you will agree that many of the cathedrals in Europe are engineering marvels full of aesthetically pleasing colors, shapes, and even sounds that successfully create an overwhelming sense of awe. In any case, we can easily imagine that the crouching man placing one brick upon another in order to get a paycheck felt the heat of the day, the pull on his back, and the ache in his knees as he continued to monitor the slow passing of time until his workday was over. We can also imagine that the man who was absorbed in making an architectural work of art for the benefit of his enjoyment and the enjoyment and use of generations. Though working under the same circumstances, he suffered less physical discomfort and felt time pass more swiftly. He was working in the flow, so to speak, in service to a greater vision. I think many of us have had a similar experience where we've gotten so into what we were doing that we had no sense of time passing and maybe looked up from our task or our reading or writing or artwork or whatever we are involved in and think, oh my goodness, it's been three hours already. Where did the time go? Sometimes that happens where when we are in a really good and deep conversation with someone else. Well, I suggest that we remake our experience of this period of relative stillness and take the perspective that our time now is less forced restriction and more mandated opportunity. These limitations are giving us permission, if you will, to stay still, to look inward, to consider our personal value and worth in terms of our kindness to others, our sincerity in pursuing spiritual maturity, and our commitment to being of service to others. These are what assure us that we have value and worth and are deserving of dignity. We are, of course, by virtue of being here and sharing this planet together. But it's that, that voice that sometimes comes out that brings us a certain amount of insecurity that I'm talking about quieting by taking a little bit of a different perspective on our current experience. The Chinese have a practice that derives from Taoism called the Wu Wei, loosely translated as doing nothing. It sounds at first blush like a pleasant invitation to relax or worse, fall into laziness or apathy. But this practice is not that. Instead, it's an invitation to resist all the forces bearing down on us that suggest that we are less than unless we have acted or have achieved or have acquired what others say we should have. Embracing non-action reveals to us the paths down which our talents naturally take us 
when we stop fighting with life. And it can show us how to handle what seems like an insoluble problem by moving through over and around them rather than crashing into them head on. In fact, the, the effect of Wu Wei has often been compared to that of water, which in most cases is soft and flexible and finds ways around and over obstacles, but which if it, it steadily falls in the same place can wear away the hardest materials we know. The Tao Te Ching describes non-action as a paradox in which dualistic tensions like passivity and aggression are resolved. It says that which offers no resistance overcomes the hardest substances. That which offers no resistance can enter where there is no space. Few in the world can comprehend the teaching without words or truly understand the value of non-action. The Tao Te Ching promises that if we do that which consists in taking no action, order will prevail. The idea is that we should stop trying to force action and to force the world to be the way we want it and get comfortable with doing less and embracing the world as it is. Wu Wei also means being fully present, fully absorbed in what you are doing or with whom you are doing it. Then when we do take action, our actions are natural, are energetic, and are in the flow of life such that wonderful results may come to being. So how can we resist the messages of inadequacy and the need for action that bosses, advertisers, creditors, and even we ourselves tell ourselves? How can we move from feelings of frustration and isolation to living into our mission here at the Unitarian Church of Edmonton to be connected, to create connection, to support connection? Well, I've taken a little bit of time this week to be still and to absorb comments that I've been hearing from various members of our congregation. And I've also done a little bit of research to look at what other congregations are doing. And I propose the following. Instead of letting our stress and depression cloud our thinking and spiral us further downward, let's get into the flow of life as it is now and embrace the slower pace the extra time on our hands, and even the isolation, and know that now is the time to begin connecting to each other 
on a regular basis using the technology that we have at hand right now without worrying about what is enough or what's coming down the pike or what is it we can do or achieve or create, but just be with each other. So here are some ways in which we can, without much fuss or effort, connect with each other during this time of COVID-19 restrictions. If you're willing to do any of these things, please let us know in the chat box or by email later today after some thoughtful moments of stillness. One thing that I hear a longing for is the reactivization of a phone tree that began back in the spring, but has kind of petered out. The idea would be that we pick up the phone and call one another once a week. And what I'm suggesting is that a group of people can volunteer to do that, and then we'll divvy up the directory according to the number of people who volunteered so that no one has to call the entire list. It will be broken up. And just give each other a quick call and say, how are you doing? And then if the call matures into something deeper and more meaningful, well, all the better for living into our mission of connection. We can also write cards for people who share in the joys and concerns, though we don't um, actually uh, post our chat box. The chat box is saved and is kept in a special file. And so a group of people who are willing could just simply you know, write a card, a card that you mail, imagine that, or email a card from some of the services available. And we can talk about maybe getting a congregational account. And I can just vision a group of people, men and women, connecting together by Zoom in their respective homes divvying up and sharing the joy of reaching out to someone to help them celebrate their joys, to magnify the joy, or to comfort and diminish the pain of someone who is suffering. We can also create for ourselves a resource of people who are willing to listen. Listening is an important skill. And it is an important gift that we give to each other. When you are a listener, you are designated as such. And you are there to be a comforting presence, to be a witness to another's pain, or potentially a witness to another's joy. For both, joy is magnified and pain is diminished through the sharing with another person. And as a list listener, you do not have a mandate to solve another person's problems. In fact, you were encouraged, encouraged not to try to do so, but simply to be a comforting and listening presence 
We've had some conversation about starting some Saturday night, regular scheduled Saturday night time, not Saturday night, Friday night, sorry, Friday night time periods where we can have what I would call Friday night conversations that could be organized in smaller groups if people want around a good book. A game. We're learning how to incorporate games in our Zoom environment. A movie watchers group or affinity groups like quilters and scrapbookers, knitters, parents of young children, married people without children, people over 65, meeting groups of women meeting groups of men, however we want to organize ourselves in any given time, whatever we need, however we can respond to those needs, and topical discussion groups. And there's been some talk of revitalizing our chalice groups, which we used to have a number of and now are down to maybe two or three. If any of these things interest you, please let us know by commenting in the chat box. And also, if you'd like, by sending us an email, you can find my email address on the church website. Now, how does all of this relate to the idea of Wu Wei? Well, it doesn't make sense to worry about what we don't and can't control. That's a recipe for misery in life. So I'm suggesting that we accept that there's a greater whole in life, that even with all of the limitations that we currently feel, that we can bring to our times together more joy, more compassion, more depth and meaning to our lives by simply agreeing to come together and to share. If you could make a few of these things I've mentioned a part of your weekly flow, you'd be giving additional purpose to your time and making a big difference for someone else. And understand that although you are taking gentle action by your participation, your action to connect and to facilitate connection is kind of like the water image and is really counter to this culture of or growing culture of individualism and production and more about just being together. And know that whatever you do, facilitator, participant, sometimes both, these are not either or uh, options and they aren't one-time decisions. You can participate at any level at any time. This is a fluid situation. Understand that your gentle action by your participation 
is just the flow of life and love and connection manifesting in you. You are not responsible for the outcome of any of the connections that you may facilitate or take part in. That's up to the dynamics, to the energy, to the spiritual flow between the participants and will be different every single time. This flow state is characterized by effortlessness, ease, and allowing the right action to unfold at the right time and in the right manner. As Rumi once asked, you are but an instrument. The breath of the flute player, well, does it belong to the flute? As we are instruments of compassion and love and connection, we are also instruments of the flow of financial resources in the world. And we invite you now to share our abundance with each other. Generosity is a spiritual practice, one that enlarges the heart and lightens the spirit. For no matter how much or how little we have, in the sharing of it, both the one who gives and the one who receives are blessed. We are a self-governing and self-supporting community. We rely on your donations to support our staff and to offer our programs. Now more than ever, we need your financial support. Please visit the website at uce.ca to find the donation method that best suits you. For the month of December, we encourage you to also support RISE, which is Reconciliation in Solidarity Edmonton. And please visit their website at rise at risedmonton risedmonton.ca uh, for more information about them and to donate to their cause. With mics muted, I'll invite you to sing our offertory hymn. <laughs> As we bring our time together to a temporary close, I want to acknowledge and thank those who have helped to make our service today possible. Slide creator, slide runner, and um, inviter to share your, our abundance, Andrew Mills. Service recorder, Gloria Krenbrenn. Host and greeter, Jeff Bizantz. Breakout room host, Lynn Turvey. 
Advent Wreath, Gordon Ritchie. Readers, Corinne Jackson and Yvonne Miro. And I'd like to give a special thanks to our Director of Religious Education, Will Adair, his assistant, Maria Jenkins, and our office administrator, Janet Pokofsky. You may consider these closing words that I share with you a Christmas gift from me to you. The poem Desiderata, written by Max Ehrman, has been in my office since I began practicing law in 1988. Now that's dating me a little. And it's in my office now. It has been in every office I have ever had since I acquired it. It has gotten me through some incredibly challenging times. And though I do not find it perfect for reasons you may detect with your modern sensibilities, I have found its wisdom helpful in more situations than I can count. I hope that much of its advice will resonate with you as well. Go placidly amid the noise and haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others. Even to the dull and ignorant, they too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons they are vexatious to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let not this blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals and everywhere Life is full of heroism. Be yourself. Especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love. For in the face of all aridity and disenchantments, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. 
Nurture strength of the spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune. But do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive God to be. And whatever your labors and aspirations, in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace with your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. As we extinguish our chalice, Corinne will share with us the words of Amy Zucker Morgenstern, a Unitarian Universalist minister. We are one. Never has it been more true than now. We, ex uh, we extinguish this flame, but the sparks within us remain alight from each of us in our own supposed solitude. The signals buzz and hum, sparking from through space to one another, connecting us invisibly, but palpably. We are one, and from every window, our light shines. With bikes muted, please join in singing our closing song, Carry the Flame. concludes our worship service this morning and I just want to say that I am very gratified and heartened by the number of people who have responded to the invitation this morning. Please remember that you certainly may take your own time to think about it, to have a little stillness, to see how these offers of participation could work within your own life. And then send us an email and let us know. Please feel free to take a short comfort break or watch our weekly announcements as they slide by. In about three minutes, you will be randomly placed in breakout rooms for coffee and a chat. 
I will remain in the main room for general conversation and to answer any questions or receive any comments you may have about today's service. You are free to decline being placed in a breakout room or you can go to your assigned breakout room and then return to the main room when you are ready. I will stay in the main room for about an hour. Thank mm -hmm. you.